As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Let's dive into today's conversation regarding life's myriad transitions and how we refine our responses in our relationships, our wellness, our households, our work, and in our practices. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm very excited, possibly a little bit starstruck right now. Andrea Gibson is our guest. is one of the most celebrated and influential spoken word poets of our time. Welcome to the podcast, dear one. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. You've changed the landscape of what it means to attend a quote-unquote poetry show altogether. To hear you perform, speak, is like hearing songwriters play their music. You have a trademark honesty, vulnerability. Your work centers around LGBTQ issues, gender, feminism, mental health, the dismantling of oppressive racial systems. Thank you very much. You're the winner of the first Women's World Poetry Slam. And you've gone on to be awarded by so many different places. You've been featured on BBC, NPR, C-SPAN. You're the author of seven books. Wow. My God. <laughs> and seven full-length albums. But the latest book is very interesting to me, and I don't have it in my hands yet, but we both were kind of very eager to speak. Normally, I would have your book in my hands, and I'd be reading it to you and sort of glowing about it. But I'm glad we get to do it without that. It's called You Better Be Lightning. So for our listener, this is a queer, political, feminist collection guided by self-reflection. And the poems range from close examination of the deeply personal to the vastness of the world. I have some clips that I have pulled from your posts, if I may read those to you. Is that okay for you? Oh, yes. I love hearing other people read my poems. <laughs> Isn't it the best feeling ever? It really I is. I know. I know. Okay, so the first one that I pulled, I wasn't always the pansy I am now. <laughs> I used to have a perm. So did I. So that's why I pulled this. I used to have a perm, and no one on earth is tougher than a butch with a perm. Yes. <laughs> God, that's good. Um especially when wearing a backwards baseball cap, mascara, and a muscle shirt. Wallet chain bouncing off my quadricep, military boots, and a look in my eye that said, give me a white flag and I'll use it for nothing but checking my oil and wiping my sweat. Come on. It just takes my breath away. <laughs> Every bit of it. First of all, how old are you? Because we must be around the same age if we both have a perm. <laughs> yeah, mine only took on one side of my head, too. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I kept doing it. I, no yeah, way. I'm 47 years old. Okay, yeah. so I'm five years older, <laughs> but I definitely had that damn perm. Next one. I drove a Z24 Chevy, the muffler built to sound like a motorcycle with a smoker's cough. 
I cried only in private and spent not a single second alone. My shoulder blades were sharp as my tongue, which was in a perpetual state of fuck off. You know, here we have the first glimpse of what's been healed in all of us. You know what I mean? Like, let me just protect myself by putting my middle finger up, wearing as much sort of armor as I possibly can, both my clothing and in my attitude. And you have a substack too, things that don't suck our listener. You better go run over to that. It's very good. But here's some newer work. I mean, work that references newer current times. We learned how wrong we were and weren't those the best days. The days we learned how wrong we were and so got to grow into our goodness, throwing the peach pits of our old selves into the garden to grow sweetness. This one's great, too. Being right is boring. It comforts only the tiniest parts of us. I've recently been really toying around with this. I love being wrong now. Yeah. Like, tell me I am wrong. I am so happy to hear you tell me this. It means I have room. Ah, I agree. (laughs) I have space. I would like to hear about your journey for the last, let's say, five to ten years, because it feels like a lot has shifted for you in this uh, window of time, and a level of softening has happened. Yeah. I think I've been softening since high school. I was talking to a friend the other day saying... I think I only remember crying a couple of times all through high school. And high school isn't easy on any of us. Um, So it certainly should have been a time that I was crying, but I was so guarded. And then where that first poem eventually leads is the day I got my first buzz cut, something or everything changed. Um, I felt myself softening and turning into a very sensitive person, crying all the time. remember... The first time I fell in love with a woman, all of my walls just fell off of me and I suddenly could feel my heart almost too much of the time. I felt like I was made of all heart. I have a friend, his name is Anis Mojgani, and he said, uh, he wrote my- My favorite of all time. <laughs> I love him and he wrote- No, no, ever. Yeah, he's amazing. Ever. <laughs> he wrote, my heart was too big for my body, so I let it go. Yes. It's beautiful. Yes. In the last five or 10 years, so you know, I discovered poetry or spoken word in 1999. I had terrible stage fright. I never imagined that I would ever get on stage, but I did for 20 years. And every single time I got up there, I was terrified. I was just terrified. And I had a reputation for the first 10 years of performing for gasping between every word. Uh, that was sort of, if you listen to even my albums, I'm gasping through the entire recording because I'm just trying to catch my breath. I'm so scared. But I loved the art form so much. It's just so in love with it. And I couldn't not do it. And it's one of those things where I, I think back and I just want to give all those years of myself a hug for continuing to do it, even though I was so afraid. And it was my dream. It was always my dream to bring spoken word into the mainstream more. And in that, um, typically, when I started going to poetry readings, the only people showing up to poetry readings were other poets. But if you go to hear a musician, um, it's not only musicians that come out to hear the music. And so I had this dream of 
having poetry readings in packed rock clubs where people are standing up and screaming and cheering. And that's a lot of what spoken word is about. And I don't know how long ago it was. It was probably around 2006. I said to my manager at the time, I want to try to start performing in rock clubs. And we started doing it. And it was amazing. I did that for many years. And, you know, I was on the road more than I was at home. And yeah, it was just getting more and more people were coming to the shows. And I eventually was starting to relax into it a little bit more, but I still, I mean, you could come to any show and watch me have a panic attack on stage. It was, people expected it and it it terrified me every time. Um, My definition of a good show was whether or not I got through it without having a panic attack, but the audience was so kind and it was always transformative in this really beautiful way whenever it would happen because I knew people were coming to my shows because they too were having panic attacks. There were many people who showed up, you know, it was difficult for them to get themselves out of the house. And so Mm. that's how my life was going. And it was a beautiful life, even though it was full of a a lot of fear, depression, lots of mental illness. And, um, and then almost two years ago, I got diagnosed with ovarian cancer. I had been an extreme hypochondriac. Uh, throughout my life. So much so I was getting deported from airplanes because I was having panic attacks and I wouldn't eat nuts at 30,000 feet because I was afraid I'd suddenly develop a nut allergy. It was really intense. And then I got the worst thing or what I thought was the worst thing happened where I got diagnosed with ovarian cancer. It was a cancer that had killed my mother's sister and something happened almost immediately. And it's still hard for me to talk about without getting a little weepy, but almost immediately I felt safer than I had ever felt in my entire life. I'd always had a thought about the divine or God or the love that connects us all, but it was a thought, it was a belief, and I had never really had a direct experience. Suddenly I had this direct experience of being created by love, by everything that uh, this feeling, this really intense feeling and knowing that anything that came my way came in service of the evolution of my spirit. And I felt so safe. I felt so connected to every living being in the world. Um, And my life has changed significantly since, even though I'm still navigating it. So I went through chemo the first time. The cancer came almost immediately back five months later. I did chemo again, and I'm currently uh, four months out of my last treatment, um, currently uh, no evidence of disease in my body, and that's where I'm at right now. Wonderful. Wonderful. Tangent and not, uh, one of my best friends got breast cancer. She went with the fasting mimicking diet of Volter with a V, Longo, L-O-N-G-O. Mm-hmm. She's very discerning. Maybe worth checking out. Okay. I will. Uh, she eradicated some last traces recently with no meds and just no chemo, just the diet. Wow. So it was like a lot of raw food. You know, I don't know if this is for everyone, but I am called to tell you that she's such a stickler and she found this to be very, very helpful. I've heard so many amazing stories like that. I'm sure. Yeah. So I had a, a woman in this cancer group that I'm in talking about, you know, she got on Uh, the call one day and said, has anybody had the experience of having no negative side effects on chemo? Um, And we all just stared at her like, 
how is that <laughs> how is that possible and then she's like it may have something to do with my diet and then i started seeing these remission nutrition people and um yes, but right yes. before i started doing my last rounds and i could not believe it i genuinely i felt like i wasn't going through chemotherapy at all uh, just because of what i was doing nutritionally talk to us about that for a second just in case one listener can be helped here. Yeah, I always feel sensitive about doing that because I never know if something will help somebody or not. And specifically with diet, but I, I will say with me, I'm doing I'm a very, very high fat, uh, not your typical ketogenic diet. I'm doing a, a sort of cancer ketogenic diet where I'm living on, uh, essentially I'm living on olive oil. <laughs> That's good. You're just like, you can't go wrong just with tons olive oil. and tons and tons of oils and, and veggies yes. and all of that yes. stuff. Yeah. You know what that does? It keeps things moving through your system. Nothing can stagnate. Nothing can get stuck. Yeah. And I was having a difficult time keeping on weight before, and I really needed to I bet. Yeah, put on a bunch of weight, yeah. which I've managed to do. And I'm happy about it. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing all of that. I have a great respect and also could feel in my body the feeling of relief that you felt when you were told that this was present. I cannot explain it. My mother had five different types of cancer before dying at the age of 69. I too have this very interesting kind of like, I wouldn't call it hypochondriac, but I definitely am very cautious and alert. And uh, it's so contradictory. It's so counterintuitive. And I felt it. I think, yeah. So I think, Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I think part of it is that we don't realize how much we're living in the future. My life had been so uh, forward moving. I think it's sort of the churns of capitalism, but just also the productivity machine of our world. And I have so much energy. I've always had so much energy. And so I'm always wanting uh, to create. And there was something about that, that at the time I was doing in this sort of like, and the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing, and something about a diagnosis, or I mean, I guess it's fairly clear when you're immediately confronted with your mortality, that sort of forward moving sense stops. And suddenly you are just in the moment that you're in. Uh, the first 10 months I was existing in all, something close to bliss. I don't know what it was, but I recall having very few thoughts. I was almost always just where I was. And I think I credit that to some understanding at the time of trusting the universe finally. I think it was the first time I trusted the universe. I think a lot of people have perceived that that, that for me meant that I trusted I would get rid of the cancer. That was never what it meant. It just meant that um, I trusted whatever came my way. And, and a lot of that was about learning to build a loving relationship with my mortality. Hmm. That's kind of everything. We can just stop the recording right now. <laughs> Like, that's it. I've got questions from big fans of yours. But that's all of it right there. A loving relationship to our mortality. Thank you. Thank you, Element, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. We have been personally using Element for well over a year. Element is spelled L-M-N-T. Elemental electrolyte salts that have completely changed the game around my house. Every night before bed, James and I split a packet. Helps us sleep, helps us get good solid rest, and helps combat 
fatigue, muscle pain, fogginess, irritability even. Did you know that your cells need electrolytes for optimal function? And if you're struggling with any of those things, you might just be deficient in electrolytes. They facilitate hundreds of cellular functions in your body, including nerves, hormone regulation, nutrient absorption, fluid balance. Element contains 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. No artificial anything in here, no sugar, no nothing. My favorite flavors, as I said, orange watermelon and the chocolate caramel in hot water is just incredible. Element comes in tiny single-serving packets you can carry with you wherever you go. They're great on planes as well. With my link, you get a free sample pack with any order so that you can try all the flavors. And that link is drinkelement.com forward slash Elena. The spelling is D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash Elena. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Element. Again, the link, drinkelement.com forward slash Elena. Your favorite medium of art. I've collected a few questions from your biggest fans. My favorite medium of art. Um, your favorite medium of art and why? I know that's Yeah, hard. no, it's not hard for me. It's absolutely music. <laughs> um, it Just music. And I don't know why, but it transports me to just such an expansive place. I write songs all the time. It's actually one of my hobbies. And I genuinely believe that it's my truest talent and may actually be my essence, but <laughs> I've only ever done it as a hobby. And I write songs and I sing them. And But mostly I'm talking about listening to other people's music. And it just, it wakes me up. And it's so many feelings at once. It's so nostalgic. Maybe it's because I consider it the most nostalgic art form. And nostalgia for me is... Um, is just always alivening, I think, because I can feel the expanse of time and then the sort of disintegration of time, like it doesn't exist. Um, so music for sure. Um, I have felt that in times before where you're listening to something old, even something that like my dad put in the cans on my ears when I was five. Mm. And I feel time collapsing. Like, am I still that little girl? When I look down and I see her shoes, like, wow. Yes. I was at a meditation retreat years ago, and uh, somebody said we are every age we have ever been, and that we are all of the ages. Yeah, And sometimes... All of the hairdos. Yes, and all the hairdos. <laughs> and sometimes, okay. you know, when you're in a, a situation where you're expected to be very adult-like and suddenly you show up as a three-year-old. <laughs> just to, just to love that part of you, you know? Uh-huh. I have a personal question for me. I was looking at recent posts and um, there was one, a piece that you had written and it was about forgiveness, about the friend coming to apologize to you. It was so profound. But the aspect of it, aside from the turning on on the porch, was the fact that in order to offer forgiveness, I don't have to love myself less. I can love myself more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is 
so beautiful. It's speaking of the capitalistic surge that is the umbrella under which we're all kind of lurking. It stops the train of transactional emotionality. And it creates this situation where I can just produce more love and feel more love. And that lends itself to my capacity to forgive. People fuck up all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Constantly, thank goodness, because how would we grow if not? And I love that idea. And it's actually and I, it's something that my partner has taught me <laughs> most of what I know about forgiveness. It's such an easy process for her. I've never seen anybody have such an easeful process with it. But I was really into the self-love thing for decades. I really bought into it, but it was always a heady process for me. I thought it was something to figure out with my mind. And for a lot of years, I didn't know that I wasn't trying to make it work with my ego and saying, oh, you wrote this great poem, Andrea. That, And I didn't realize until my diagnosis that, that self-love wasn't a thought at all. And that self-love also for me, at least, was the same thing as loving the entire world. If ever I catch myself in a, a critical moment or you know, even the slightest judgment towards somebody else, I know that I'm not in a place of being self-loving. And that was a lesson I learned from Meg, my partner, saying, um, you know, I think a lot of times we think we have to love ourselves less to forgive people. But the idea of loving ourselves more to forgive people, I think when we love ourselves more, yeah, we are just, it's almost impossible to see the best in folks, to see their a divinity in spite of their many mistakes. Of course, we're all human. We're making them all the time. Right. Recently, lots of really strong, traumatic truths coming to light for friends of mine. And I, I keep trying to explain this, but you finally put the words to it in a way that I can actually relate to other people who don't might not know your work. So thank you for that. How did you arrive at choosing compassion over anger when you had cancer? We sort of already covered that, but let's hear what you might have to say in addition. I would love to say it was a choice. <laughs> you know, I, I went played college basketball and I like the idea of, of, of doing a really hard thing and committing to it and figuring it out. I had had people in my life, my therapist, for example, who I had just watched a couple of years previously uh, navigate cancer in a way that made her life a whole lot better. After that, been with a friend as she was dying of cancer and was watching her do things that I at the time thought were impossible. For example, she knew she had two or three days to live. And there was this event coming up that she was so excited for. And I'm watching this woman get excited for this thing that was happening the day before she died. And I didn't know it was possible to have excitement about things while actively dying and suffering that much. And I had teachers that had come into my life and shown me that it was possible. And I had years before somewhere read that we can't go where we haven't first gone in our minds. If we haven't imagined something, it's less possible that it will come into fruition. But for me, it wasn't an effort. It wasn't a choice. It felt like it was a gift. I felt like, I don't know if it was my grandma who was on the other side. I don't know if it was my friend who passed, but it just was this sudden clarity that just felt gifted to me. And 
I had spent my whole life talking about not pushing down your feelings, um, not pushing down sadness or grief or anger. That was what most of my writing had been about for two decades. And then I realized that the one feeling that I had been pushing down was joy. And I suddenly thought, wow, I'm feeling this joy and I'm going to open myself up to it more and more. And I couldn't, it's so hard to put into words what that feeling was. It was such an abundance of joy. And I say was because it was constant, constant for almost the whole first year. And now it is in and out. I had this energy worker say, you know, when the recurrence happens, say this time it's going to be like a roller coaster. You'll come back into grief. Then you'll go back into bliss. Then you'll go back into fear. And then you'll go back into joy. And she also said that that's necessary because did you feel when you were in that bliss state that there was no more learning to do? And I had never been asked that question. And I thought everything had been perfect where I was, but it is true. I felt like, wow, I don't know if in the state of this pure loving feeling, there's anything bumping up against me enough to do learning. And so through this last time, I've done a lot more learning. And that's not to say I wish I wasn't learning and wasn't in bliss all the time. <laughs> of course. I might trade the learning for bliss, but that's what I'm doing. I'm down to do this because this has honestly been surprisingly wonderful too. New intelligence is always a good thing, even when it's very challenging. It is. It's like, you know, sprouting new limbs. and um, Totally. Yeah. Another question from your biggest fans. How did you learn tenderness or was it not learned? Was it inherent? We sort of touched on this already where you said you've been softening since high school. Yeah. You know, your first buzz cut. I'm so curious to hear a little more elaboration on that. I've never been asked this question, but... I learned it from the places where I wasn't tender. I learned it from my own lack of tenderness. It wasn't like I just, even when I got my buzz cut, I became uh, tender and soft and heart open and was that way for the next decades. Like I still would have a lot of edges when I was depressed or a lot of edges when I was anxious. And I think over time, as I would start to not feel like that person, but had some distance and could be the witness to that person. I started watching what was causing. I started to have compassion for the edges, I guess. I used to think that I could sort of badger myself into a holier person. And I realized that my kindness was going to come uh, from being kind to the parts of me that hadn't been kind. And so as soon as I could see that in myself, then I started to see it in other people. And, and just didn't have the angst towards the world uh, that I had had before. But I think just watching myself very closely and paying attention to what was happening was where that came from. Yeah, the attentiveness. It's kind of everything. Yeah, it is. And it's so simple. And I think it's, especially once you experience it, it starts to you have a tendency to sort of cling or I have had a tendency to want to be in that state all the time. And then it, you know, the whole spiritual thing tends to make people less spiritual <laughs> and it's all of the whole path. Just I'm realizing is so much simpler than I ever made it. For our listeners sake, the piece about forgiveness is in a post called the accepted apology. 
if you want to check that out on Instagram. Um, three more questions, actually. How much do you share publicly versus keep to yourself? Um, That's so hard to answer. You know, I never shared as much publicly as I have this last year and a half. And I think it was because I was so busy. <laughs> I was always doing stuff. But now, you know, my life is very quiet. These last two years have been so insular for me. I've hardly seen friends. I love my friends so much, but it's just been um, a very quiet time. But I've shared a lot online. And um, one of my best friends is a very private person. And her sense of safety in the world comes from being private and processing things internally. I think my whole life, my safety has come from expression. I've always felt safer uh, the more... I'm sharing, you know, my friends, if something is happening with me, my friends will get a text. And like we said at the beginning of the call, is there anything really off limits? And I can't think of anything really that would be off limits. So I'm pretty open and I feel more connected to the world that way. And yeah, sure, there are some things I keep to myself, but I'm probably on the far, far end of what you would consider an oversharer. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Which I don't think any of us mind. Great. There's so much serious <laughs> intelligence in what you're doing. And I mean emotional intelligence. I don't mean intellectual intelligence. It's like the soft heart that you speak about in your writing. That's the soft heartedness that has come about. Um, last couple of questions. Where do you draw inspiration? Hmm. It's always so hard to think of a place where I don't. Um, oh, that's such a good answer. Whoa. <laughs> well, genuinely, because I feel like so much beauty here. My therapist always says the only thing we ever have true control over is where we put our attention. And if you put your attention anywhere, I mean, I feel like all of writing and creating is sort of just plagiarizing the beauty that is already here. Um, so lately, a lot of it has come from nature, being outside. I grew up running through the woods of rural Maine, but I haven't ever been as connected to the outdoors as I have been in this time. I, I will be having a hard day and I'll start driving through. When the aspens change in Colorado, there's nothing like it. And this one day I was just, you know, a day I had gotten some hard news and was pretty sure that the cancer had come back and I was driving and looking at the aspen trees and suddenly I was transported to this like a static place, realizing that what made the aspen trees was the same thing that made me. And so nature, yeah, but also people and our messiness, our clumsiness, our ache, our wanting to be connected, our longing, our just all of it. Humans are wonderful. We're wonderful messes. And I love us. I love people. So everywhere, I guess I'd say everywhere. That is everywhere. I happen to live in New Mexico and I have some Aspen stands near my house and the, the Aspens, when they get gold like that and they start to glimmer in the wind, it's insane. It's so beautiful. I grew up, yeah, in Maine, autumn is stunning, but here, yeah, nothing like it. It's different. The Aspens are different. Yeah. They just have a whole different energy. I think I would like to close and offer you the opportunity, if you would like it, 
to recite anything that you're working on or perhaps something that's top of mind or very close by for you right now mm. so that our listener can get a kind of a glimpse and a taste. Yes. Um, I have my book right to my side. Do you mind if I grab it real Genius. quick? Yes, please do. I also have to get your address because I want to mail you a copy of uh, my book, which weirdly is called Softening Time. Oh, I love that just landed at my house and I'm dying to send you a copy. That's beautiful. I would love to have it. Um, let me just see if I can find one here. Would you like a short or a medium or a longer one? First of all, as you like. Second of all, I was just about to call you dude, but I caught myself. Can I call you dude? Oh, I'm down with dude for sure. Yeah. Dude, please go as long as you like. <laughs> okay. Maybe I... um. I'll, I'll actually do a couple of short ones. This is called Instead of Depression. Instead of depression, try calling it hibernation. Imagine the darkness is a cave in which you will be nurtured by doing absolutely nothing. Hibernating animals don't even dream. It's okay if you can't imagine spring. Sleep through the alarm of the world. Name your hopelessness a quiet hollow, a place you go to heal, a den you dug, sweetheart, instead of a grave. And this other one I just want to share because it's changed my life. And not the poem itself, but the idea, and it's barely a poem. Whenever I post this and say it's a poem, people say it's not a poem. And I say, okay, that's fine. Well, it's helpful. <laughs> It's very well, You make it whatever it is, whatever you need it to be. <laughs> Genuinely, uh, it was taught to me by my therapist originally, and, um, and it really changed my life. It's called Wellness Check. In any moment, on any given day, I can measure my wellness by this question. Is my attention on loving, or is my attention on who isn't loving me? Hmm. Again, again. Okay. Wellness check. In any moment on any given day, I can measure my wellness by this question. Is my attention on loving or is my attention on who isn't loving me? Good God. I was just trying to find the words for this and you did this shift of attention from who can I blame to how can I love anyway? Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. It transformed me. I remember that I would have this hyper focus on why isn't this person or this person should be doing. And then as soon as I shifted to loving, what it would do to me inside and how it would change my day was so, so empowering. It just, it filled me with this life. I felt like life itself when I do that. Incredible. Truly incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, for your gifts, for your experience. Thank you. Thank your you. lived life, really. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. I appreciate it so much.
Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity. The conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.